Awesome. I'm Libby. And I'm Jason. And today we're going to talk about Charlie X. From the original series, right? Yeah, from the original series. So this is, well, okay, so if you look up the order um, online, I think this is like the seventh or eighth episode uh, on from Netflix. From Netflix, yeah. Yeah, on Netflix it's the third episode, and I think Netflix goes by the original intention yeah. for airing the episodes. Versus yeah, I'm not 100% on that because yeah, on IMDb it says it, this is episode two. Obviously, because uh, it puts the ori- it doesn't count the original uh, pilot like you know most like oh, right. like we've been doing because right. that's what it lists on Netflix. So so it's kind of hard to know where this episode was meant exactly like how we're meant to see it. I know? wasn't alive in the 1960s. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's hard to know like how. You know, did, did the writers intend for it to be further along? Did Are we supposed to really know who the characters are at this point? Like, yeah. you know, is this is this episode... Like, it's... It, well, it's weird to me that it's like... If it is the second or third episode, it's weird to me that that's true. Yeah, I know. It is kind of uh, out of place just because you get some things from characters that we learn from later aren't really a thing. Like Spock and his flirtiness toward Ahura during mm-hmm. that whole odd musical number. Um, <laughs> well, but we'll talk about that yeah. for sure. But um, yeah. but yeah, you get him all smiley and giving her bedroom eyes, but then we know later he's not that guy. So right, right. It, it's interesting. Say, I have to say, and this is one of those things where, you know, usually we're, you know, the last few episodes that we've been talking about different, you know, I, I felt like we were... I felt like we were kind of on the same page. I don't think we're on the same page. No, this one. I really loved this episode. I honestly, I hate this episode. It it's not one of my favorites. It, in my opinion, breaks with the the Bible of Star Trek, and it just has a lot of things in there that bug the crap out of me. I definitely see why. Like, I, I definitely understand that there are parts of this that aren't good. I kind of like it, maybe like in spite of itself. Fair enough. I I just can't get on board with it. Is all. I again. I can definitely understand. There are some parts of it that are really obnoxious. Yeah. Um, and I think intentionally so. Like I, I think I, I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of I feel like a lot of the stuff that's in obnoxious is intended to annoy you. It's intended to. I mean, he's a teenager, right? Well, the, and that's part of the problem that I have with this episode. And we'll definitely dive into this whenever we dive into our debate. Yeah. Um, but first, do you want to go ahead and? Uh, do a bit of a synopsis for us? Yeah, love to. All right, awesome. The Enterprise is taking on a new passenger, Charlie Evans, the only survivor of a crash ship on Thesis. Charlie was marooned from the age of three, and it seems that his survival was due to more than just blind luck. Charlie is awestruck by Captain Kirk's raw masculinity and heeds his advice above all others. Charlie's first encounter with a woman is Yeoman Rand and her beehive of feminine wiles. Puberty sets upon Charlie like a herd of regalian ox, and he can't help but fall madly in love with Rand. 
Charlie's attempts to interact with a crew end in miserable failure, and he responds with a teenaged eye roll of death. Crew members disappear into thin air. The crew of the Antares believes that they are a significant enough distance away and try to warn the crew of the Enterprise, but Charlie intercepts their message and using deadly antipathy destroys the Antari crew and all. Kirk witnesses Charlie disappearing a crew member and realizes the connection between Charlie's seemingly limitless powers and the destruction of the Antari. Kirk subdues Charlie with his manliness and an arched eyebrow, and Charlie is led to his quarters. Instead of obeying orders, however, he visits Yeoman Rand and tries to woo her with whining. Rand evades his advances and contacts Spock and Kirk. They burst in, but are easily defeated by Charlie. Rand slaps him, and in a fit of rage that would make any neckbeard blush, he disappears Rand, too. Charlie wreaks havoc on the ship. He turns crew members into lizards, old women, and removes their faces. Kirk is helpless. Finally, Kirk concocts a plan. Overload Charlie's abilities and use the distraction to subdue and tranquilize him. The plan is less than su successful, but luckily, the race of Thasians catch up to the Enterprise and explain that they gave Charlie powers so that he could survive in the Thasian wilderness. He is too volatile to live among humans and must be sent back to Thasis. Charlie begs to stay, but his actions on the Enterprise and against the Antari make him too dangerous. The Thasians take him and return the Enterprise and its crew to its rightful state. Okay, so I, the first topic I really wanted to talk about, um, well, and I, this is one of those things where I feel like it, it'll be good because there are definitely two sides to this coin, but uh, Charlie is a representation for, for puberty. Okay. Um, I, th I honestly felt like, and, and there were some descriptions that I can point to that I felt like made Charlie a good representation of what young men and women go through when they hit puberty and and he's he's such an obviously pubescent child i mean he's 17 but he's very skinny uh you know i mean and, and you have to imagine okay he's marooned on this this planet so that means that he probably didn't have access to adequate nutrition mm. so he probably is get hitting puberty a little later so there's a kind of um is it island of the blue or blue island or blue, blue lagoon blue lagoon that's the uh, I couldn't remember that. Yeah. But, but there's a kind of Blue Lagoon-esque feeling about this episode that I feel like, um, you know, he we're, we're supposed to see the, the trouble with discovering your sexuality by yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I also feel like, like there are parts where you really did feel for Charlie and you really felt like, oh, that poor kid, like having to go through all this by himself and... You know, now he's finally seeing women for the first time, but of course he doesn't know what to do. Um, so there's something really sort of sad and pathetic about it uh, that I thought was great. I mean, I, I thought it was really good. See, I disagree with you almost 100% on that. Um, the way they depict Charlie in this episode is almost as if it's like an old man trying to talk about how the teenagers around town are behaving these days. You know, it seems very detached from what a teenager actually goes through. Um, there, there were so many things that just didn't read well, especially like a boy like Charlie who has been maroon, has been alone his whole life. Um, 
he would never be that forward with somebody like he is with Yeoman Rand. Mm-hmm. Like, from the word go, he's just, like, struck and smitten with her, which, yeah, of course, that happens. But the the whole thing where he's, like, giving her gifts, and then he acts this, he has this confidence act in the in that weird musical scene where he's playing the card games with her and all this stuff. I mean, sure, I, I buy the obsessiveness of a boy on his first crush but i really do not buy any other behavior that he exhibits throughout this episode except for you know obviously uh i'm in control because i have this power that you don't have like that's the only part of it that really reads true everything else just reads so false to me in terms of puberty well my, my argument to that would be that like when you look at it i mean to me you know charlie goes through his emo phase in this episode. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where pubescent kids, what they do is they explore different methods of social interaction and sexual interaction, or let's say social-sexual interaction, right? So meaning, in this case, meaning mm-hmm. ways of interacting with the opposite sex. Um, uh, and and they find out what works or what doesn't work. And I, what I see in this episode is Charlie experimenting. And he's, and he's experimenting, but he's experimenting only insofar as he's willing to do what he thinks it takes to get with Yeoman Rand, mm-hmm. um, not understanding that that's not how this works, right? Um, so, that, I mean, to me, what I found interesting was that he is not static. He's continually adapting and, ad- and changing his behavior based on mm-hmm. his emotional cues rather than logic which to me makes perfect sense for a pubescent kid right Mm -hmm. like logically when he was playing card tricks with you and rand that was when he was most successful that was Mm -hmm. when their relationship was the strongest so logically you would assume that one would um you know continued that kind of behavior in order to be successful with okay with a relationship but because he's a teenager and he's frustrated by the amount of time it's taking, right? Because he's rushing and this is what teenagers do. They're yeah. frustrated that things take too long. You know, they live in this like completely emotional sort of sphere. So he's frustrated by this. It makes him angry and the anger is what drives his action. This is the pubescent, I mean, there's nothing logical about it, but puberty is not logical and like an, an adolescence true. is not logical. There, you're right. While puberty is not logical, there is logic in pubescent behavior um what what i what really bothered me about charlie's behavior is it didn't seem to have a thread there like you said that yeah sure there is this this thread where charlie goes from one action to the next it didn't read right to me and and i was a pubescent boy i mean i and and i was super emo i mean i've got the freaking pictures of me in studded clothing to prove it but Going from one behavior to another like that, it just it it didn't read the way that other depictions of puberty in television, even in that time period, read. Right. So it. I mean, while I get where you're coming from with it, I and I hate to play the card like you being the outsider on a pubescent boy's behavior, me being the obvious insider. I mean, I haven't been a pubescent boy in at least, you know, five years. Right. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but 
yeah, it, it just there there seemed a lot of like angst there that did read like especially in the scenes, but because of the scenes in this this episode were so disjointed, I felt like it really didn't do a, any didn't do any favors for Charlie's behavior from one scene to the next. I see what you're saying, and I I think that probably and this is actually kind of moving on to the next topic, which we can talk about if you want. Um, but pacing in this episode was really strange. I, I agree, and, and pacing maybe, maybe, yeah. and like scene selection, like there was yeah. some stuff that I thought should have ended up on the cutting room floor that didn't. Yeah. You know? Well, like one of the scenes, for example, that I actually thought was really great but felt very out of place was the scene where he is going around turning members of the crew into, mm-hmm. like, lizards. And yeah. Then, that scene was creepy. I mean, it, it was, was, like, really genuinely creepy. terrifying but and great. But didn't that scene come after he made disappear, made uh, Yeoman Rand disappear? Yeah. Wouldn't that, like, somebody who just lost the love of his life, would, wouldn't you think that that would make him be a little bit more cautious in how he uses his magic? See, and what I was thinking was, even if they decided to go the opposite direction, what would have made sense would be he's angry and pissed off and running around doing all this crazy stuff because he's mad that Yeoman Rand is gone, mm-hmm. right? And it's not clear that he can bring them back. In fact, it seems like he can't. Yeah, it seems um, like he doesn't know how. Right. Um, and so there's this, this, this like... What it read to me as was an attempt to really showcase Charlie as a threat, Mm -hmm. right? He's not just disappearing members of the crew. He's, I mean, because it's it's one of those things where he he directly tells Kirk, I can't disappear you because... I need you. I need you. So at that point, Kirk's like, great, and dive tackles him, right? Like... Yeah. <laughs> like okay, I'm gonna bash your head in with a brick or whatever. So we know that yeah. he's that he's like not a threat to Kirk, but there he he's a threat in other ways. And like so, it seems to me that this scene was intended to show how he's a threat in other ways. I feel mm-hmm. like because of the weird pacing, and there was weird pacing. Yeah. I will grant you that. I mean, it was very disjointed. Mm-hmm. It seemed to me like he was sort of gleefully turning members of the crew, um, particularly the one, what was her name, Tina, Yume and Tina. Yeah, like, she didn't say a word to him, and it was just like, boom, you're a lizard. Right. Or in some random person that walks by him, ooh, now you're an old lady. Right. Like. Literally. That was another thing that kind of, like, it just popped into my head, but he's taking out a lot of anger on women in this episode. Oh, yeah. Like, every person that you see pop up who's had something done to them is a woman now. Especially after Yeoman Rand. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was something that I guess we could talk about if we wanted. But Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, but I think it falls in sort of conceptually with the idea of puberty and that, like, mm-hmm. sort of women become, for a lot of young men, and, and it, you know, and we can debate the sort of reality of this. Certainly in literature, women become the object of desire and the enemy simultaneously. Oh, yeah. And because I, you want them so bad, but they're so difficult to figure out. Right, right. Yes. They're plotting against us, guys. Yeah. They're plotting against yeah. us. <laughs> so, oh, God. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so there's a sort of, like, odd, like, neck beardy, red pill swallowing, like, yeah. element to this. And it's one of those things where, like, for me, that's a very accurate depiction yeah, or at least a depiction that that rings true. Sort I, of I see what history. you I see what you're saying there. I think, however, because of the pacing of the episode, it made it seem it made it read false. Yeah, I it, I understand why you would say that. Yeah, that to me was the biggest problem with this episode was that it was the pacing was so 
yeah off that the scenes that would have went like the, the scene that comes to, springs to mind as being like a really great description of what it's like to go through puberty was the scene where he's talking Yeoman Rand has tried to introduce him to a young woman yes. who's apparently his age which sort of was weird to me that is a weird world building thing maybe she's like 18 or 19 I'm thinking like, yeah I'm thinking like so she she would have been like a cadet maybe not maybe not a cadet but like a like a enlisted, enlisted okay. personnel so okay so we're trying to, so okay so she he meets he meets Yeoman Tina mm-hmm. completely Disregards her, right? Yeah. Okay, bye. It's like you're you're not the same. Yeah, and he has a conversation with Yeoman Rand where he basically discusses how he feels about her, and uh-huh. it's such an obvious. I mean, he he describes it as feeling like he's hungry all over, and yeah. that was a great description. And it was like that and very creepy too. Creepy, but but it should be creepy. I mean, it is kind of creepy. Like your first experiences with sexuality are very weird and and alien and foreign and creepy to an extent. And of course, she has this added element of never having interacted with people. And so, mm-hmm. he is a very creepy kid, and he should be creepy. And it and I and I felt like his description was brilliant, frankly. Yeah, I mean that was a really good, really good description there. I, I just, hmm, I, yeah, I really don't have any comeback on that one. That was really good. He, I think they did do a good job there. I will give you that point. Um, but it was messed up by pacing. But yeah, messed up by pacing. That's all. That's my real, yeah. really only argument against like what what ruined his behavior for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think points to you on that particular argument. Yeah. In talking about pacing and the odd, disconnected, disjointedness of this episode, we really have to talk about the giant singing elephant in the room. (sighs) That scene where Uhura starts to sing and Spock is playing his... Zither? Lute? I don't know what that is. I I think it's a Vulcan lute, maybe. Yeah, let's go with Vulcan lute. Um, But it just seemed... So out of place. I mean, of course, this being the second or seventh episode, we're still getting to know the characters. Not sure which episode we're we're doing, but it seems so out of place, right? Spock is flirting with Uhura. Uhura is flirting with Spock. Maybe that's where they got it in the new movies, That you know, that, that weird relationship. Oh, yeah, that's true. Maybe they looked back and saw this episode and was like, hey, let's put those two together. Yeah, I mean, no, that could be the case, actually. Um, yeah, because Uhura and Spock are together in, in, in the, the new movies. Kelvin timeline or whatever. Yeah, called. the Kelvin timeline, uh, which is fine. Yeah, that's perfect. Uh, but still, it just seems so out of place, especially for Spock, who is emotionless. And he's already showing his emotionless emotionlessness early in this episode. Yeah, right. He well, he's favoring logic in this he's episode. He's favoring logic. I, I, in this I, I think it's I think it's unfair to call him emotionless. Spock is definitely not emotionless. He's just he because he's half human, he tries to be emotionless and follow his Vulcan roots. He's just unsuccessful. Yeah. Um, and there are some great I mean there's a in the in that documentary um, about Spock. For the love of Spock. For the love of Spock. Um, 
there's a, a sort of a great sort of way of describing it and, and they say that he earns his emotion and in this scene like like um, I'm trying to think of the episode now where it's the episode I can't think of the title of it but it's the episode where Spock is getting married oh the one where he the one where he's really excited about at the end of the episode that's the one you're talking about yeah and and he thinks Kirk is dead and then yes it turns out that he's not and he says Jim and he has a great smile on his face and it's so earned it's so well earned exactly Uh, this it just seemed like it was given to him yeah I I agree it's like and it was weird and it was weird the song was weird like if you listen to the lyrics yeah I mean it doesn't fit with the world I mean I guess okay let's go let's play under the assumption that this episode aired second sequentially right sure okay maybe they were thinking we're gonna have musical numbers by this beautiful woman every episode right well okay then I can buy it I guess but what show at the time besides I Love Lucy was putting musical numbers in well there were I mean musical numbers were a little bit more accepted people would sort of have like a you know I mean I don't recall I don't recall June Cleaver busting into song you know I don't know but I mean this June Cleaver is in the 50s I mean this is the this is the late 60s I mean 68 69 60 65 60s yeah and 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 I mean I actually just listened to this really great um now I can't think of his name Hal Prince Hal is that his name Mm, yeah, maybe, no say. Maybe I'm thinking of Shakespeare. Anyway, he's <laughs> <laughs> um, he's the but he he's a famous lyricist um, for uh, he worked with Stephen Sondheim and okay. Andrew Lloyd Webber and he's and he's he's the biggest he's he's won the most Tonys ever and and he's been writing musicals since the 50s. He's he's 89 years old. Um, and he said, and I thought it was really interesting because I never thought of it this way, but it's obviously very true that musical numbers in the 60s especially were the popular music of the day okay so music came from entertainment right like music came from things like musicals and not from like pop stations not obviously totally obviously you have the Beatles yeah you know Elvis and all this I I think I get what you're saying but so so suffice it to say that like television shows and you know, movies and stuff like this had t- t- tried to become musical in their own way. Yeah. Obviously, we have a really good example of this with Spock and his album. Um, Leonard oh Leonard yeah, his Leonard album, Murray, his right? album. Yeah. So um, it's one of those things where uh, the Hobbit dance. Yeah. Right. So it's one of those things where it's like we're you know I think I think that that may have been part of it. It didn't read well. Yeah, no. It doesn't read well now. It does. I'll say it yeah. does not stand the test of time. I don't think it, it does. It doesn't, and it. It feels very. I, I personally, I've wa- I watch a lot of classic sci-fi, and I've never seen anything like this in sci-fi. Yeah. So it was weird. It I'll agree that it was definitely weird. odd. It'd be kind of like I guess, you know, Sigourney Weaver bursting in a song on the set of Alien. You know, I mean. Yeah. Right. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Yeah. Uh, well, and here's the other thing I will say about that scene is that this is entertainment. What do they call it? Entertainment. Room, what was it called? The recreation room. Recreation room. room, Recreation room. Rec rec hall or something like that. Yeah. Which, okay, like, it's a rec hall. That's cool. I guess it's the precursor to 10 forward, you know? Yeah. Okay, maybe that's how I need to think of it. Because I thought it was a little bit weird that it's the 23rd century and all they've got in their rec hall is as if they're in some cards. 
Like, huh? You know, good and, point. And I mean, it's one of those. Like, here is this show. I mean, that they is, also have the gyms and things if they want to do something like that. Cool. Maybe but they have a movie theater on board they too. They talk about Who entertainment knows? tapes. They 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 mention yeah. so presumably they have some kind of movie theater. But it's weird to me that entertainment in the twenty third century is not that entertaining, frankly. Yeah, it's like, kind of boring. Yeah, <laughs> if and all like, I had to, was a deck of cards and you know one of my crewmates singing to me, I'd lose my mind. Yeah, like <laughs> like. If, you know, Ten Forward and TNG makes a lot of sense because it's just basically a restaurant. You know, people go sit yeah. and eat and have community, you know, sort of eating together. Yeah. That's cool. That makes sense. But this is specifically a rec hall, and I noticed that there wasn't any food or drink there. Presumably mm-hmm. they had drinks, I would assume. Yeah. And it's supposed to be a kind of a place to meet up and have a good time after work. All of this makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense is that the closest thing they get to anything that's technically entertaining or recreational is a deck of cards. Yeah. And that is that is odd. I, I, I do I do agree with you on that. Props to Nichelle Nichols for having a great singing voice. Oh though. God, yeah, yeah no, she's, like, she's got a set of pipes on her. Yeah, no, I mean, so okay, like on on the one hand, it was stupid. On the other hand, I got to hear Nichelle yeah. Nichols sing, and that was great. And thank you again for making my point for me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, but I, I, I get yeah, but I mean I. Like, okay, to defend it, to defend it. Let's say I defend it. First of all, I think it is nice that we get to hear her sing. Okay. Even if it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I think it's nice to imagine a place or a time when people can sort of invest in creative activities in social settings. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it... That's all I got, really. Well, okay. (laughs) Here's something to help you out on your argument side. Let's think about it from the perspective of we are in the 60s. What were people doing for fun at home for recreation in their living rooms? Right. They were either A, watching TV, or B, playing games with the family. Mm -hmm. So having a deck of cards out, um, having maybe, you know, we saw 3D chess in there at a point, you know, not in the rec room, but other places. Maybe that's what they're trying to go for here. Um, give it like a family. Give it this room like feel. family sense. Like everybody's together. Everybody's made their family aboard. You know, so this is how we have our recreation. We come together. We play games together, like you would on family night. Yeah. Okay. I can buy that. I can definitely buy that. That As being said, we don't weird. do that anymore, and it's boring. Right. It was, <laughs> well, I just. It, it feels like it just dates the show to me. Yeah. But like nothing else, well, other than Yeoman Rand's beehive, nothing else really dates the show. You know, I mean. And the fact that all the women are wearing skirts okay. doesn't date the show. Maybe that also dates the show. The fact that all the furniture is art deco doesn't date the show. It's uh, it's mid-century modern. Oh, your design sorry. Right. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there's there's plenty to date the show. But, yeah, but okay, but that, but yeah, I yeah, get what but you're that, that seemed to, I mean, like, it just pulls you right out. Like, like, so, like, the society that you live in depicts your television shows, you know? I mean, that's kind of what you get, you know? So if I'm thinking about the, if I'm thinking about this particular scene in terms of the show, like, this episode specifically and how it moves the plot forward... Which is maybe the bigger problem here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, on the one hand, it's totally terrible and, okay, it pulls mm-hmm. us right out. But let's think about it in its own context, which I think is fair to do. Yeah, in its context. How does it, the way it moves the plot along to me 
is that we get to see Charlie Charlie's reaction to not being the center of attention. Okay. So he, up to the point of this, has been basically the center of attention. I buy that. In his own pubescent universe, right? Yeah, no, I mean, quite literally, he is the only human. He has been given magical powers from an alien race, Mm -hmm. um, and he's doted on 100%. Even in term, even in terms of on the Enterprise itself, he gets greeted by the captain, which I think is kind of weird. That is strange. I mean, a captain wouldn't come to meet some random. He's not an ambassador. He's not a you know. I mean, now granted, okay, so he has this backstory that I feel like is probably the more interesting story of how he survived from Mm -hmm. the age of three to the age of sixteen. That would be something awesome to find out. Marooned on a planet, right? Yeah. I mean, this is like the Martian, the extreme version. Uh as though the Martian weren't extreme in and of itself. And then he meets this race of Thasians. That, I mean, this is yeah. all really interesting. And how does, like, a three-year-old get on board a spaceship at this point? Because we really don't have I that. have to assume it's colonized. So they, they, Colonization, were, they were trying yeah. to colonize it. So, okay. But okay, let, fair enough. Let's just, okay, so whatever the circumstances were, he gets on this planet. This is an interesting backstory. So I'm guessing he's kind of Federation famous at this point, right? Like, he's, which is the only reason the captain would greet him. Yeah. Um... And I, to me, took, like, I was, it was really obvious from the beginning that there's something weird about Charlie. Yeah. Um, I mean, they kind of, from, from the word go, I mean, the two guys that beam over with him are, you know, acting a bit strange. So, yeah, no, obviously. Yeah, but it seems, okay, so we'll have to get into the logistics of, of Charlie at some point. Because mm-hmm. there, there is some weird stuff that I don't understand. But, okay. Yeah, let's, let's so, do that. But, 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 within, but within the context of this this one scene. Yeah, he's not Everybody's being... been paying attention to Charlie up until this point. Up until the point of Uhura starting to sing. Yeah. And so- suddenly no one is paying attention to him. All eyes are on Uhura. And he can't take it. So he starts playing his little... He, he makes her shut up and starts doing his little magic trick. So that he becomes the center exactly. of attention again. And what, what bugs me about that is Yeoman Rand's reaction to Uhura not being able to sing all of a sudden. A friend who a friend would be like, hey, are you okay? At the very minimum. In this, not so much. It's like, oh, well, now I'll just go over here and sit by myself now that you're not singing anymore. That was strange. It was weird. Yeah, No, that was weird because I, I noticed that too, like... Uhura goes, you know, like she can't sing. And like nobody all of a sudden nobody gives says a crap. That nobody cares. Like, okay, you've stopped entertaining us. Now we're attention yeah. to read it elsewhere. Now, it could have been the case, and I think probably this is true, that Charlie was drawing attention to himself with his power. Well, okay, that... You see what I'm I, saying? I get what you're saying, but it doesn't jive for me yeah, because he doesn't do that anywhere else. Yes, he does. He does it with the captain the ca- of the Antari. The captain of the Antari. Okay. Well, he does. It's not that he gets them to pay attention to him. He just gets them to like not be, not say anything about him, really. But he. But he does so by having them yeah. exalt him. Yeah, I right? guess so. Like he, you know, and I, and I, so my. But is it if, if he if he he could have, I think what he does, and this could be this is head canon, what he does is he prevents Ahura from singing, and immediately sort of t- turns the focus on himself with his powers. So it's not that Yeoman Rand is ignoring Ahura; it's that she either can't see her 
or is prevented from looking at her. Yeah, I think in my head canon, it's a little bit different because the way it really kind of plays for me, especially with that scene, that first scene that you're talking about, um, I kind of tie that into how he controls Kirk later on by causing him great pain. I think maybe that was more of like a, okay, these guys are being quiet. I need to prod them into saying nice things about me because that's the plan that they're supposed to be sticking to. And so he, he doesn't necessarily cause them pain, but he sends them like a mental message or something like a cue that, Oh, yep. Nope. We need to start talking nice about Charlie here to kind of throw them off of the fact that maybe he's not normal. So yeah. Okay. Okay. Because, because 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 that was, that was my big question was if he's so, you know, well, whatever. Yeah, if he's for, so for, powerful, why doesn't he just make Yeoman Rand yeah, fall in love right, with him? But, you know, it's but, like if he's got yeah. mind control devices. Right, but but he but doesn't. he clearly doesn't. Yeah. So, but okay. So, but okay. Alternatively, he prevents the other people from seeing Uhura suffering. Does he though? I don't know. Does he though, and or also, do they just I, not give a crap about Uhura? I I, yeah, that's probably the case. And the thing is, is that like we never see anything. Nothing ever comes of it. Yeah, it's McCoy like it's never not, says, McCoy, there's never a scene between her and McCoy. McCoy doesn't say to Kirk, oh, yeah, and Uhura had this weird thing where she lost her voice all of a sudden when Charlie walked in the room. Yeah. Like, it never, that scene is weird because yeah. nothing ever comes of it. And the other thing is, is all of a sudden Charlie's got this, like, magic ability with these cards where he can put Yeoman Rand's photo in weird positions. Like, she's, like, posed separately in these photos. And she's, all she goes is, how'd you do that? Not when the hell did, did I take these, these pictures? pictures you right? know, like yeah. right. Huh. Well, and I mean, in the context of the show, again, I think that the point is, is that he's whatever his mental powers are, he's projecting this sort of aura of confidence. Uh-huh. Um, so I can kind of buy fair it. enough. I can buy it. Fair enough. But I do. But I do. Th- the scene is weird. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's hard to defend it because it's like, yeah, it's really. And I weird. think it's one of the. It's the one of the scenes that starts the the pacing off in like a weird weird way. direction. It seemed I like, agree. It seemed like it was. Hey, we've got this really awesome scene that we've spent a lot yeah. of time filming, and now all of a sudden we that can't use it. That scene belonged as like a bonus on a DVD. Actually, yeah. Frankly. However, like, you know there were no bonus DVDs I, yeah, in '65. That's where that scene should go. It's yeah. not. It, it just. But you're right about the pacing. It's so hard to defend it because it's like, it it, it seems like pacing should. I mean, if you think about the mm-hmm. sort of witch's hat of plots, right? Like, yeah, where it's like, okay, we are introduced to Charlie. Something's a little off. Rising action, rising action, rising action, climax, falling action, falling yeah. action, ding And that's the other thing and about it just this. it doesn't is, follow that pattern at all. Well, it really doesn't. It follows the pattern more of like maybe a Greek play because we even get the deus ex machina ending in this one. Like the, yeah. the solution to the problem is the magic aliens show up and take away the bad boy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it does – like this one I thought maybe the editors or maybe the director – just didn't really put a lot of thought into the pacing. This episode was written, by the way, by Gene Roddenberry. And, and I mean, and again, there's a lot of difference between, you know, what a writer writes and what a director directs. I also think it's, I, I also, I, what I will say is that, like, as bad as the pacing was, what I really like about the show 
or this episode specifically, is that you get to see a lot of the Enterprise. The entire episode takes place on the Enterprise. Yes. You you really get to feel like, and maybe that was the point of this episode, was not necessarily to introduce Mm -hmm. a bunch of plots or whatever, but But, he was a plot device mm -hmm. for getting to know the Enterprise. And in that context, I think even the pacing makes sense. Because you want to slow down and look at the record. I buy that. You want to slow down and look at the gymnasium. You want to slow down and look at the bridge. Yeah. And no. so, the, so there's and, and quarters and stuff like that. And this. doctor's office and all and that. Doctor's yeah. office. So every time, so every time there's this like major slowdown in the pacing, mm-hmm. and there is so many examples of major slowdowns in pacing. It's a chance for the audience to say, "Oh, hey, mm-hmm. we're in the doctor's office," and like look around at the doctor's yeah. office. And I think. Or, you know, or a sick bay, if we're if we're yeah. using the proper terms here. Um, so I think to defend the pacing, which I agree was terrible, if you think about it in context of the rest of Star Trek, it gives you a really good chance to look at the Enterprise. I buy that. I, I'll get you. I'll give you that. And we kind of talked about that in our last TOS episode that we we mentioned. You know, having these great sets to go from one set to another. Um, I, I, I definitely buy that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We got to talk about that beehive. That beehive dough. Exactly. Uh, the basket weave. Oh my god, that was immaculate. Wasn't it amazing? Like, I, I just, I, first of all, it's a wig, so. Oh, well, clearly, it had to be a wig. I, I mean, assume, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, if. I imagine if you had to actually wear it, that wig must have weighed a ton. If that was somebody's, like, hair, though, could you imagine trying oh. to get that out of your hair? Oh, like, god. that design? Like, you might as well just shave your head at the end of the day. I, I mean, know. good God. But it was so cool. And I, yeah, so, no, that was, so, that was so a piece of work. Let's talk about Yeoman Rand. Yeoman James Perfect. Rand. Uh, yeah, let's talk about her. First of all, like, as a Star Trek fan, uh-huh. I didn't know who Yeoman Rand is was until I started watching TOS in its entirety. Yeah, and the movies. And the movies. But, but specifically, like... As in, like, before I was a Trekkie, Mm -hmm. I knew who Spock was. I knew who Kirk was. I knew who Uhura was. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew who Dr. McCoy was. I'd never heard of Yeoman Rand. Mm. And and it's weird that that's true to me because she, for some reason, does not get the notoriety. Now, granted, Uhura gets notoriety because she's a black woman. She's a bridge crew. Yeah, she's bridge crew, and she's a black woman in the 60s and has this huge role in this iconic sci-fi show. Yeah. For sure. But Rand is another great character and she's a great character that just doesn't get any attention. Yeah, she pops up from time to time in, in various episodes and I would she, is, she pops up in the same way that like Scotty pops up. You know, I think Scotty Scotty has more episodes than she does on, on in her in his credits. Okay, but check off then. Sure, check off. He didn't come in until like halfway through season two anyway. But. Right, so you're talking a season and a half and everybody knows who Chekhov is but nobody yeah. knows who Yemen Rand is. Fair enough. I mean, it's weird to me that she just doesn't get the notoriety among yeah. Trek fans that, and maybe maybe it's my own ignorance that that's, that's yeah. shining through here because 
I didn't know who Yumi. I mean, a lot of people do know Yeoman Rand, but it's it's kind of in a in a like a side sense, like because they had to go back and like headcanon her because the actress that plays her pops up in the movies too, and like they, I think they give her like a you like instead of calling her Yeoman Rand in the movies, she's like a lieutenant or something like that. Mm-hmm. So they went back and like remade her a story. If you look in like you know memoryalpha.com or something like that, you they they do give her you know a good a good life apparently in in the Trek universe, but. I agree with you. She doesn't. She's. She doesn't get the recognition. Like whenever you're going to your your conventions or whenever you're going to, you know, any kind of meetup with Star Trek, people aren't there to see Yeoman Rand. They're there to see the bridge crew. Right, and maybe and maybe that's it. Is it because she's not a bridge crew member? But I mean, technically, McCoy is not a bridge crew member. Yeah, but he's on the bridge enough, and he goes on enough away missions. Yeoman Rand doesn't go she on goes any on away ra- missions all the time. When does she go on an away she mission? She was on an away mission in the first. Well, okay, maybe she wasn't. Yeah. Maybe I thought she was. Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. No. But, okay, this is a Yeoman Rand episode, right? This like, is a Yeoman Rand I, episode. I would argue that this episode is more centered on her than mm-hmm. it is on any member but of it the kind crew of, other it, than Kirk. But it really does kind of uh, kind of talk to that great theme that we always come back to whenever we're talking sexism about TOS. Sexism in Star Trek. Sexism yeah. in Star Trek. Yeah. She is really just a vessel to convey what the main characters are doing. But what I like about her is that she has such a strong personality. She I, does. I, I would argue that her personality is stronger than some of the other members of the crew that we see. Mm-hmm. I would argue that her personality is stronger than Chekhov. She didn't have an accent. No. Maybe, and maybe that's it. She's not memorable because <laughs> she didn't have an accent. But, like, but, she, but that beehive, though. I know. Like, How is that character not memorable? Aside from the fact that she's gorgeous, she has a, the beehive the, the beehive to end all beehives. Her mm-hmm. beehive rivals Marge Simpson. Mm. And like, and Marge is a cartoon character. You know, I mean. That's I mean, true. So, so, I mean, I, to me, it's like she's just this great character. Mm-hmm. Really well drawn. You get a real sense of who she is. She's very sweet. She's very strong-willed. She's very... Um, I mean, her the scene between her and Kirk, where she convinces Kirk of the seriousness of Charlie's actions was brilliant to me. At first, I was annoyed with Kirk mm-hmm. when, I, when I was watching that scene. Oh, yeah. But, but the more you go back and watch it, the more you realize that it's Yeoman Rand convincing Kirk that... You think this is funny. You think this is a childhood crush. But I'm on the other end of those crushes, and let me tell you how much it hurts to hurt somebody like that. Yeah. I don't want to hurt this kid. And that Especially is, a kid who is in such a fragile state, or so right. they think. Right. That he's this, you know, loner kid that was alone. That <laughs> a loner kid that was alone. Mm-hmm. For, like, years of his life, he was, he was isolated. And... You know, physically isolated. So his first emotions that he has, he's going to get hurt. Like, that's right. not a good situation to be in. Well, and, and Rand recognizes that. And the way that she convinces Kirk, I mean, you literally see him mm-hmm. go from smiling and like, oh, you know, Janice, don't worry about it, um, to, you know what, you're right. Yeah. And, and, and when Kirk goes to actually address the issue with, with yeah. um, Charlie... He's not dismissive at all. He's absolutely empathetic. And I think it's because of Rand's influence. Yeah. Rand makes him recognize the pain that this kid is going to go through when she has to mm-hmm. inevitably hurt him. And she's saying, yeah. if you can do 
anything to prevent this, please do so because this is going to wreck him. Yeah. And I know because I've had to do it before. You don't understand. I understand. Yeah. And, and that, that to me is what makes Rain such a great character. You know, I, I would, and this is, this is probably unfair because we don't get the same amount of character development mm-hmm. in Ahura. But I would argue that she's a stronger-willed character than Ahura. And, oh, yeah. And, and again, that's not fair because we Ahura is really set decoration for, like, multiple seasons. Yeah, um, multiple episodes, multiple, multiple seasons. Multiple episodes, multiple seasons. So it's not fair to say. But what I will say about Rand is that, um, that she, when she gets a chance to interact with the captain, mm-hmm. when she gets a chance to interact with any of the other crew members, she is so strong-willed and so convincing mm-hmm. that it's difficult to... Yeah, it even makes you forget about the fact that this being a military vessel, that she's breaking the chain of command by going directly to the captain to talk about a problem she has. Right. Well, yes, absolutely. I mean, she's. Yeah. I mean, she's. She's either whatever that situation is. She's comfortable enough with the captain to say, you know what, I have a problem and you need to address it. Yeah. Typically, like something like that should go up to like I guess I don't know I don't know the the, the terminology for it in in the navy, but I guess her yeoman superior would be the first person you should yeah. go to. But she's she's going to the captain. And that's pretty headstrong, pretty cocksure of her of herself to to do that. Well and he so so the scene where she confronts Charlie when he comes in and tries to woo her Mm-hmm. Um, really terribly. Oh, um, God. This is this is like the 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 nineteen sixteen version of. But I'm nice. Why don't you like me? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so she he he comes in and and he and he says, "Don't ever lock me out again." And she says, "I'll lock my door when I please." And it's I mean, she says this knowing that this guy is dangerous, even deadly. Yeah. And, and well, she. I don't think she knows that he's deadly at this point. But she knows he's dangerous. Yeah. Because at this point, everybody in the ship knows. Presumably, that's another thing that we didn't talk about at all. But maybe we should address. Why is everybody just wandering the halls? Yeah. Why is he? <laughs> why isn't? Doesn't he have like a detail on him at all times? You or know. Li- or like, why isn't everybody in their quarters? Like, it's red alert. Go to your battle. You know, or whatever. Yellow alert. Go to your quarters. Exactly. Yeah. It was weird. But that okay. was that was strange. That, that seemed, I, I, uh, but, but maybe, I don't know how we can explain that one. Maybe yeah, that can. is a weird one. But no, I think I agree with you on, on this topic. Um, Human Grand, Grand is great, and we don't pay yeah. enough attention. Grace Lee Whitney, by the way, is the woman that played her. And she died two years ago. She died in 2015. With very little notoriety, not, unless not you're so a Star much, Trek fan. Yeah, not so much as a blip on the radar. Yeah. You know, And to me, that that's the real tragedy. Is like, here she is, making huge strides. Um, yeah. For for women, but for science fiction, for mm-hmm. beehives, and <laughs> we forget about her. You know, yeah. like and and I, I'll never forget about her again. I mean, I, I feel yeah. like I feel like my next cosplay is going to be as human Rand. Like, I'm All serious. Right. I love her. I just That'd be absolutely. I, I love her, and I'm I'm sorry that she hasn't yeah. gotten enough attention. So this is my this is my like call out to all you Trek fans, men and women alike, Yeoman Rand. 2020. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, with that, we are going to be moving on to Trek News. 
news. So uh, on our Trek news today, uh, I, I'll go ahead and start, and I'll be the the little bit of a girly one today. Um, but so Terry Farrell, who we all know as Jadzia Dax on DS9, is marrying Leonard Nimoy's son, Adam Nimoy, the director of For the Love of Spock. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations, you two. Uh, I That's know you're amazing. not listening, but uh, if you do, hey, uh, really happy for you guys. That's great. No, I'm happy for him. That's yeah. I, I, you know, it's weird, but cool. Like, Yeah, you know, I mean, it's funny how worlds collide. I'm sure they met some at some Star <laughs> yeah. Trek event and yeah. hit it off, but that's pretty awesome. I think so, too. I, I'm, you know, yeah. I know Jadzia Dex is supposed to marry Worf, but okay, like... Hey, who cares? Um, <laughs> Michael Dorn didn't put a ring on it, so well, there we go. Well, yeah, first. <laughs> um, I think he's actually married. Uh, so, yeah, probably. Uh, but yeah, I know that's amazing. I, you know, obviously mm-hmm. really happy for him nothing but happy news there and yeah. best wishes to those those two i you know it's funny because i i um i loved uh for the love of spock i mean it's hard not oh to. god it was great movie. and and I, I just one of the things i really loved about it was adam nimoy i mean you know you get a little bit of a chance to know who he is as a yeah person. and you get to know about their his relationship with his father and kind of like the things that they went through together but, so but i just i loved adam nimoy like i thought he was such a great yeah. kid and like he's a great kid he's probably 20 years older than me but yeah he's, he's probably more like closer to like 30 40 years older than you no i don't think he's that much older but he's older than me but he's but he's 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 great and i you know i think it's really cool to see how star trek has influenced his life mm-hmm. like in a very direct way but maybe even in an indirect way and in that like he's a sort of forward thinking type person and i'm you know obviously really happy for both yeah of no very happy very happy so what's your news uh, so my Trek news is uh, not surprisingly about Discovery. Um, yeah, uh, I know. I don't know what to do about Discovery, um, mentally or emotionally. I know. Um, so apparently, the most recent trailer has had TVMA in the corner. Yeah, that I have a problem with that. Me too. But at the same time, I'm a little like, okay, maybe it's time to make Star Trek TVMA. What? But how can you say like Trek? Part of the point of Trek is mm-hmm. to is to inspire kids to science. That's true. And if kids and if can't you, watch it, then I get I get what you're saying. Them. Yeah, no, I'm a little. Dishearten. Well, the other thing about it is, is it's also not going to be on TV. It's going to be in that. It's going to be well, in that, that CBS that, All Access. That, that that to me is less because, well, for a lot of reasons, that to me is less egregious. But the first of which is that, like, okay, it's a forward-thinking show, and this is mm-hmm. the news platform for entertainment. It's also the platform that the majority of younger generations tend to be involved in. All that's mm-hmm. fine. What makes me mad about TVMA? Two things. First of all, my fears are coming true. It's Star Trek the Gritty Reboot. I do not need a gritty reboot of Star Trek. Yeah. I want I want my bright colors. I want my yeah. pristine bridges. And I think that's something that uh, Seth MacFarlane talked about in his uh, recent junket about uh, the Orville. Um, is that the reason he's doing that show is because it's it's an homage to the original Star Trek. It is because I mean you look at the the sets on the on that preview. It looks an awful lot like TNG. It's it's yeah. going to be episodic. It's going to not be this dark, uh, you know, harsh environment. It's going to be something. 
to inspire people to know that we are going to have a better future. Right, and that is the point of Star Trek. When I look, that look, is. Look, I don't need the post-apocalyptic version of Star Trek. I mean, I know that technically that's true of Star Trek, but it's one of those things where, like, one of the things that's nice about it is that it looks like this beautiful place that we all want to be and we all want to aspire to. Yeah. And if, first of all, they're not, if they're going to do a gritty reboot, if they're going to do the post-apocalyptic reboot, and then the second side of this is that kids can't even watch it, what is the point? Fair enough, because Star Trek is a family show. It, it is has well, always been a family show. Let's just go with it's supposed to be a family show, and some episodes maybe not so much. But ideally, it is a family show. Yeah, and that's and, how it was envisioned as yeah, a family show. I imagine like thirteen-year-olds and above should watch this show. You know, I I disagree. I think like the original series, anybody can watch that show. I agree. Yeah, not even just today. Like even back in the sixties, whenever we had yeah. you know higher moral standards, apparently according to some people, um, but. And, and TNG, well, like, as well. yeah. TNG as well. TNG as well is yeah. also a family show. Well, I think well, Voyager was as well. Absolutely, Voyager. Again, going back to this idea, like Voyager specifically, mm-hmm. you know, young girls watching Voyager, suddenly we can be captains. Suddenly we can be chief engineers. Like this is Suddenly you can be everything except for United President, President of the United States. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, but I mean, it's one of those things. Cut where, that part out. Yeah, uh, yeah. nah, leave it in. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, to me, you watch you watch that that episode or that series rather as a young girl, and it's like you've been told your whole life that girls can't do math, and suddenly you have Belana Torres is a chief engineer. Exactly. On, you know, I mean, this you know, if you're seven years old, six years old watching that, and you and you as a girl, young girl, think mm-hmm. you know, are hearing from one end, I you can't do math. And on the other end, and this is your only exposure to women doing math, women doing science. I mean, this is really important. That's what you need. And hey, guess what? In the last decade, there has been a huge uptick in young women going into STEM fields. And That's you know, true. I'm not going to say that it's Star Trek, but I'm going to say it's Star Trek. So <laughs> here's the thing. Like, if kids can't watch this show... Yeah, I mean, and, and think about it. You've got... You've, you've got probably what's going to be the most diverse crew mm-hmm. on a bridge mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a female captain again. Uh, you're going to have a female first officer. Mm-hmm. You're, you've got a female main character even. Right. And, and, so, and, and we're not allowing children to watch this show like without having some weird mature content. Come on, I I implore you, Star Trek people of you know Hollywood and wherever, rethink this, please. Yeah, seriously, I I wanna I wanna I wanna watch Star Trek, or at least kids. give us another series that, that we can watch with our kids. To, yeah, that's geared towards kids because I I just and this is you know this is not a think of the children moment, but in the sense that Star Trek. I mean, Star Wars is not something the whole family can enjoy. I, and I, I, I mean that. I mean that. I watched Star, the first time I watched Star Wars. I was seven. Yeah. Um. But, but, I feel like there are scenes in Star Wars that really preclude kids from being able to enjoy it. Uh, Star Trek, on the other hand, was nonviolent, nonviolent, right? And like, and 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 yeah. cheers nonviolent. Um, and, yeah. and cheers diplomacy over war. Exactly. And and was not bloody, was not, you know... Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where the, the nice thing about Star Trek is that you could watch it as a kid, you could play Star Trek, mm-hmm. you could... You know, anyway. I, yeah. Well, we could talk about that all yeah, day, so but TVMA, anyway. Yeah, so TVMA... 
that's yeah. the news. I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and move on from our Trek news, if we can, and talk about Recommendations. some... Recommendations. Um, um, my recommendation, or do you, oh, you go first, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, so I'll recommend something outside the Trek universe, but it's maybe appropriate that I'm recommending it, um, in this episode, uh, which had a sort of strange musical number. Um, I'm recommending Gallivant. Uh, Such a funny show. I, well, so you can only watch it on Netflix now. It was on ABC. Apparently it got canceled, so single tier. Um, but I will recommend it anyway. We recently started watching it, and um, it's great. It's super funny. It's super relatable. Gallivant himself is amazing, and the whole thing is a musical comedy. So I think it's phenomenal. Um, I think it was a mistake to cancel it. Uh, and I think, uh, I, I really, I hope Netflix keeps it on for a long time, maybe even re you know sort of does the netflix thing and reboots it that Um, would be kind of cool i don't know if they will i think the main uh, one of the main actors timothy O something i can't remember his last name but he he recently had a stroke so so they well he was working on he he's the same guy from uh from psych the tv show psych if you've ever watched that um and they were doing a psych movie and halfway through shooting he had a stroke so they had to rewrite his part Mm. so i don't know the extent of what happened with him but you know if if they redo gallivant and they don't have him on board i don't know if i could watch it because his character and him portraying his character is just brilliant no the whole thing is really great i i I Mm just i love that there's a platform for musical Uh, yeah i know and and I love how that show doesn't take itself too seriously. It makes fun of the fact that it's a musical. It makes fun of the fact that it's a TV show. It's great. I just love it. Yeah, seriously recommending it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have Netflix, I first of all, you should because all of Star Trek is on Netflix. But second of Mm -hmm. all, um, watch Gallivant. It's amazing. Yeah. I really recommend it. So, Um, My recommendation this time around is actually just a YouTube video. Mm. Um, If you ever get on, go to uh, the Bitter IT Guy. That's it. Bitter IT Guy. And he's got (laughs) a video very recently that he did, which is IT Guy's Log. It's basically the premise (laughs) is... He's the IT guy for the enterprise and in getting all of the like it, if you're if you're an IT person, you will understand. You will get it. It will make you laugh. It'll give you a lull and then it'll give you like, a uh, that's my life. <laughs> OK, so I'm going to have to watch this because I oh, haven't yeah. seen it. So. No, I'll show it to you for sure. <laughs> awesome. That, that sounds great. I'm going to yeah. have to watch it. Okay, but anyway, that's I think that's all for us for today. We didn't I didn't have any trek technology. No new technology. Nothing that I saw. If if you guys have anything, go ahead shoot us an email over at uh, trekking uh, trekkingawesome seventeen oh one at gmail dot com and we'll definitely uh, read it on air for you. Uh, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, so that's trekking awesome uh, on Facebook and then uh, Twitter Tre- at trekking awesome yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. So um, we're around. Let us know that you're listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know you like us. Let us know what episodes you want us to do. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to pick these episodes because they're out of order and yeah. And we're you know, you know we're you've obviously seen it. We're going on a cycle from one series to the next and circling back around it 
to TOS. Next week again is going to be TNG. Yay! Yay, TNG. So, TNG. so I've yeah, seen TNG give us no less than seventy-five times. Oh, I know. It's it used to be our like bedtime ritual. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, <laughs> had to take the TV out of the bedroom because of it. I know. I know. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, let us know you're listening. Uh, All right. Trek and A. Trek and A. <laughs> Get us so fine, he's happy.